Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians 5:22 through 6:10. Um, first, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think that they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kate. Well, it's great to be with you today. Uh, for those of you who do not know who I am, I am not Pastor Jim. I am Jeff Harden. My bride, Susie, and I have been married 40 years. Uh, that happened in my day job. I'm a professor in the Department of Integrated Biology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, I'm a teacher of biology to undergrads, and my lab focuses on the study of embryonic development. As a member of the campus community, I have, I want to reiterate one thing that uh, Cam already mentioned in his prayer, and that is that I want to encourage all of you to be here, if you can, next week, when a candidate for our campus ministry position, Evan Tinklenberg, will be preaching. Please make Evan and his family as welcome as you possibly can next week. I have a second announcement as well, and that is uh, that... Uh, I want to express appreciation for someone in our congregation. That was our liturgist this morning, Joe Veltman. Reverend Joe is hitting a milestone today. He is 75 years old today. So let's... <laughs> Thanks for all you do and for everything that you are, Joe. Well... Dear friends of Jesus Christ, uh, the Dane County Fair has been going on this weekend. Has anybody 
made a visit to the Dane County Fair. Okay, great, fantastic. In addition to opportunities for funnel cakes and uh, other treats, the fair celebrates agriculture in our county. Some of you might like a more urban vibe, uh, I'm not sure, but in my family at least, uh, one of the charms of Madison is that you can be within farmland after about a 10 minute drive from our house. To, to us, it's part of the charm uh, of the city of Madison. And most of you know it's been a tough year for farmers so far. May was the fourth driest month, fourth driest May, um, in, on record since records started being kept in 1895. And uh, you can track conditions uh, at the, the U.S. government's uh, National Integrated Drought Information System website, great website. And what that will tell you is that currently 4.9 million Wisconsin residents live in areas of drought. That's a lot. A map that you can find there has a U-shaped red feature within it. That is the part of the state of Wisconsin hit hardest by drought. Madison is right in that red U. Uh, Dane County is one of 27 Wisconsin counties designated as natural disaster areas by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Bottom line is that farmers have been sorely challenged. They've had to think hard about how to maximize a harvest under really difficult circumstances. Now the passage that Kate read this morning invites us to think just as hard about a different sort of harvest, a spiritual one. What are the ingredients of a fruitful Christian life? Well, to answer that question, we're continuing our series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. And as we've learned, Galatians is all about freedom, the freedom we have in Christ. Paul emphatically says that to uh, insist that Christians become Jewish would be to submit to a new slavery. As Pastor Jim says, Christian identity is received, not achieved. Three weeks ago, Nate Hale explained that while we're freed from obeying the Jewish law to gain favor with God, we're also freed for obeying Christ. Remember, he said that Galatians freedom routine reads like this. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. Last week, Pastor Jim followed that up by preaching on Galatians 5, 16 and following, including the first part of what Kate read this morning. And that's Paul's famous fruity analogy for the Christian life, the gospel life. Importantly, what Jim said, you may remember, is that uh, using uh, N.T. Wright's great phrase, Christian virtue is a team sport. Love that. The virtues in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit, have a focus on relationships. When we rely on the Holy Spirit and his power, we can live truly authentic Christian lives in community. So that's the review. The last application section of Galatians is our passage for today, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. What does Paul say are characteristics of a truly, spiritually fruity life? He says, that's right, three things. Christian lives should be characterized by the following. First, Christians bear others' burdens. Second, 
Christians bear their own load, and third, Christians bear an eternal harvest. They bear others' burdens, they bear their own load, and they bear a spiritual harvest. First, if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we'll bear others' burdens. That's what Paul talks about in verses 1 and 2 in our passage today. Verse 2 lays out the broader general principle, so I'll start there. What does Paul mean here? The word he uses for burden, baros, is the one for a heavy weight. We get our loan word for measuring air pressure barometer from that same root. Paul assumes we all have these weights here in this passage. Now, if you tend towards radical self-sufficiency, frankly, like me, uh, you might think that you should bear your burdens completely alone. Maybe you'd even quote Paul in Philippians 4.13. Maybe you know that. I can do all things true through him who strengthens me. Well, that's true. I'm not contradicting Paul. But here Paul says something important. He says God uses deep Christian friendship as part of how we endure the things weighing us down. Moreover, it's something that should be a habit. The verb tense that Paul uses here uh, indicates ongoing action, something that's happening continually. Now, Paul spent a lot of time talking about law with a capital L in the book of Galatians. I think we know that. We've, we've covered that in previous sermons. That kind of law with a capital L enslaves us. It doesn't save us. Paul's made that pretty clear. But notice here, Paul is talking about law again, isn't he? But in this case, it's a different law, a law with a lowercase l, if you want, the law of love. Now, I already mentioned Galatians 5.13, and there Paul says that we're to be love slaves to one another. And Jesus said something similar uh, in the upper room in John chapter 13. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's true that Jesus has freed people, us, from the crushing burdens of some Jewish teachers, and he was especially concerned about that in his day. In Matthew 11, he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the yoke of Jesus is easy and it is light, but it's still a yoke. It's our responsibility to love and serve one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the law of love that Paul's talking about. Well, what does that love, loving a burden-bearing look like? Well, here's a, a mental image you might think about. Think of someone helping you who's losing control of their roller bag as they put it over their head trying to get into the overhead bin on the airplane. I can see some of you have that mental image. Now, if you're much more athletic than I am, you might think about someone who's spotting someone who's lifting weights. In either case, it means getting so close to that person that you can redistribute the weight, the load that they're carrying. On your reflections page today, I provided a quote from Martin Luther commenting on this verse. He said, to love means to bear another's burdens. Christians must have strong shoulders. Well, what does this mean for Christian relationships? Well, we've got to stay at it. Second, 
I think it means a commitment of time to listen. And that means going beyond the superficial. And it also means praying consistently for those around us. If you're a person of means, practically it might mean easing someone's financial hardship or coming alongside one, someone as they face a seemingly crushing life challenge. Or it might mean helping someone with their walker as they try to get into church. Or it might simply mean being a profoundly Christian friend. Energized by the Holy Spirit, it's always going to mean sacrificing something of ourselves for someone else, even when it's downright inconvenient. Now, seeing lived examples of this was one of the things that uh, drew Susie and me to Geneva many years ago when we first started attending here. And I can mention some of the dear friends who are actually here and I'm looking at today who exemplify this enacted love, but frankly, they'd only deflect the compliments. So I'm not going to do that. All I'll say is that I still have a lot to learn from these amazing, often unsung saints, heroes of the faith, right here in our midst. So we're called to bear others' burdens. That's the first point. And uh, Paul, uh, Paul fleshes that out by an example, and that's found in verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. A crucial way we should bear one another's burdens is gently to help others get back in step with the spirit when they've stepped out of line. That word restore there is used elsewhere outside the New Testament of resetting broken bones. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, it's used for mending nets. Here I think it means restoring someone who has been spiritually broken. One thing it probably doesn't mean is storming in with guns blazing to stage an intervention, running roughshod over a struggling, should characterize this process. And this word gentleness, it's that same word that appeared up in chapter 5 in that list of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. This is delicate work that requires us to depend completely on the Holy Spirit if it's going to go off well. Well, have you ever been on the receiving end of this kind of gentle correction? Maybe you haven't, but I definitely have. Um, and I want to tell you about one uh, life-changing example of that that occurred for me, and that was in my first year of seminary. Uh, before, this is before I met Susie, who's had a salutary effect on my character over four decades. Um, at that time, I worked with the college-age Sunday school class in a local church in San Bernardino, California, and I worked alongside Carrie and Charlene Kelly, who led that ministry. Um, Carrie and Charlene have for many years worked as church planters overseas, and now they're coaches of overseas church planters in unchurched areas in the world through an international missions agency. In those days, though, Carrie was one of my classmates in seminary. I was, frankly, pretty full of myself in those days. I'm slightly less full of myself now, but I was especially bad in those days. And given my oblivious self, I wasn't aware that I was becoming a problem. Carrie had been a high-powered offensive lineman for the University of Colorado football team. 
He was and is a very large and very powerful human being. But instead of using his physical presence to intimidate me, he did something different. He simply sat me down one Sunday, handed me a slip of paper, and he said, I think you should read this. What was on the slip of paper? Well, it was a set of Bible verses. The verses had to do with respecting those in God-given authority over you. They had to do with humility, all from Scripture. The effect on me was incredibly powerful. Now, I still have a lot to learn 40 years later about humility, to be sure, but uh, Carrie had an unforgettable, unforgettable life-changing impact on me because he was willing to take the initiative to help me grow in Christ, but to do it with the gentleness that Paul talks about in this passage. Now, you can find Geneva's mission statement on the inside of the back page of your bulletin. Go ahead and, and go there for a second. Maybe you don't always look at this, but um, on the lower left is the mission statement of Geneva Campus Church. Our mission is to glorify God by embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life together, equipping each other to serve Christ's kingdom, and engaging the university, the city, and the world with Christ's love and redemption. See that second bullet point? Equipping each other to serve Christ's kingdom. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. And it's the sort of one another encouragement that we all need and takes place through this burden-bearing process that Paul has been dealing with here in Galatians 6. Now, Susie and I found within our midst here at Geneva, a great place where this can occur is within our households. That's the Geneva speak for our small groups. Many of you are already in households. If you're not in one, I want to encourage you to think about that. I think when households are working at their best, they can be a place where we can all develop this sort of burden-bearing intentionality that I've been talking about. All right, first then, we are to bear others' burdens. But second, we need to bear our own load. That's what Paul talks about. In fact, he hints at a problem already in Galatians 6, verse 1, the second part. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Hmm. He expands on this in verses 3 through 5. Well, what's the temptation here? Well, this is a church in the Calvinist tradition, so let's channel our inner John Calvin for a moment. He said this about verse 4. Frequently it happens that by comparing ourselves with others, the low opinion we form of them leads us to entertain a high opinion of ourselves. Ah! He nailed it, didn't he? That's a huge temptation here. So we need an antidote. And Paul lays out the antidote here. It's using the right integer to describe ourselves. What integer is that, you may ask? Zero. Zero. Paul says we are literally nothing apart from Christ. Each of us is completely helpless without his work to save us and his continuing work in our hearts. Now, if we think about that for very long, 
That means that none of us has any room for arrogant superiority at any time. The only boasting we can use, and we should use scare quotes liberally when we talk about boasting here, is in what Christ does through us by his grace. Only those things will pass the test, a word used for refining metals, that Paul uses here in Galatians 6. Now, if you've been a careful student of this passage, you may be wondering something. I certainly have wondered about this in the past. It's whether there's a contradiction between verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and verse 5, we all have to carry our own loads. Well, what about that? Well, uh, the word in verse 2 means a weight or a heavy load. We've already talked about that. The word in verse 5 is actually different, and many of the English versions use a different word to translate it, where it says we all have to carry our own load. Uh, that's a word used for a military pack. In other words, it's something that you can carry as a single individual. You have your own pack, I have mine, and each of us is responsible before God for our own lives. And that helps to balance out what Paul was talking about and to counteract that temptation he mentioned earlier in the passage. So, in step with the Spirit, we should, number one, bear others' burdens. Number two, we should bear our own load, living responsibly for God. Paul has one more thing to say, and that is, number three, that we should bear an eternal harvest. Part of that harvest, as Paul says in verse 6, involves supporting our hardworking ministers of the gospel. And uh, with the leadership of our deacons and our finance team, I have to say that Genevans, you do a great job in that department. So I'm going to move on to the general principle that Paul fleshes out in the rest of this passage. Paul uses a powerful agricultural metaphor. Why? Well, I think he's making the point that just as there are good and bad consequences due to good and bad agricultural practices, there are lasting consequences from our spiritual and moral choices. <clears throat> this is actually a favorite idea of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And in a 1954 sermon that I think I provided in your reflections page, he said this, all reality hinges on moral foundations. This is a moral universe. And there are moral laws of the universe just as abiding as the physical laws. I think it's hard for us to actually remember this point. And that's why Paul spends a lot of time on this, using this agricultural analogy. Now, I'll admit, <clears throat> I'm a suburbanite and the son of suburbanites through and through. But I have absolute respect for our nation's farmers, especially those battling the drought in the state of Wisconsin. The closest thing I come to are farm reports I received from two parcels of farmland in Kansas I inherited from my mom's parents. They come complete with pictures. So I get a sense for what's going on within the farmland that I'm partially responsible for. But I don't really know anything about farming. You know, there are many accomplished and dedicated gardeners here at Geneva. I don't want to mention any particular one because I might leave someone out. But they know a lot more about what it takes to bring in a successful harvest than I do. Nevertheless, I think we all know a few things. Let me try a few things on for size. First, quality crops require quality seed. 
You can't get good produce when you put in bad seed. You just can't do it. It's impossible. Second, quality crops require patience for long periods of time as those seeds germinate and begin to sprout. Third, quality crops require diligent care. You can't set it and forget it. It just doesn't work that way. Now here's the thing. Paul says we are all spiritual farmers, whether we're suburbanites or not. And he asks us to consider what kind of crop we're cultivating, a crop of the flesh or a crop of the spirit, a harvest of destruction or a harvest of eternal value. A crop focused on ourselves is a crop of destruction. Uh, in a book that I highly recommend, it's an old book now, a classic, called Traveling Light by Eugene Peterson, he says this, I provided this on your reflections page, a person all wrapped up in him or herself makes a very small package. Love it. He goes on though, most of the prescriptions for self-actualization today are rationalizations for an aggressive self-centeredness, a life of self-love, self-pleasing, self-improvement, and self-serving can only end in corruption. It is unhealthy. It is diseased. See, only when we focus on what God values will we be in a position where he can work in and through us to produce a crop of eternal value. Well, cultivating this kind of eternally valuable crop, like regular old agricultural crops, takes sustained effort. In verse 9, Paul says, let's not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we don't give up. I think he's assuming here that spiritual farming isn't easy or even natural. James says the same thing. James 5, 7, and 8. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Now, I will be honest. I'd prefer it if spiritual farming weren't like this. I'd love it if spiritual realities worked more like the quick solutions promised by those fad diets or gimmicky exercise machines. Paul says God's reality simply is not like this. And Paul says, if you think it is, you may be fooling yourself, but you're not fooling God. Here he says, God is not mocked. The Greek verb there means literally to turn up your nose at somebody. Now, I think one of the problems here is that we forget this principle that Martin Luther King was talking about. And that's because of the cumulative effect of our choices. It happens bit by bit, almost imperceptibly at times. The old adage I think is really true. Maybe you've heard it. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Many small choices that I'm called, sort of crop that I'm cultivating, the sort of spiritual crop that I'm cultivating. 
Now, who can give us the patience to keep at the sowing of good seed? Well, remember Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Yeah, patience square in the middle of that list. As we lean on God the Spirit, he'll give us the strength we need to persevere in doing good, both within the body of Christ and outside it. And we saw in verse 2 that he uses other mature believers to help us stay the course by helping us to bear our burdens. Well, Paul concludes by saying something about the beneficiaries of the spiritual farming that we do. He says, as we have opportunity, let's work for the good of all, especially those of the family of faith, in verse 10. As the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, we're to scatter the seeds of goodness to those around us, both Christians and the wider world. Now, at this point, especially in our internet-soaked era, I think it's easy to become paralyzed by all of the possibilities that you can imagine about where to implement this sowing of good seed. That's a problem. Or I think we can succumb to what Eugene Peterson in Traveling Light calls Afghanistanitis. Uh, and you can put in your own country of choice here. The idea here is a preoccupation with problems in far-flung places at the expense of what is right in front of us. Now, fortunately, I think Paul frees us from these problems. Look what he says in verse 10. As God gives you opportunities, hmm, all I'm asked to do is to bear others' burdens and sow good seed among those God has put in front of me, not you. What looks like is going to be different. What that looks like uh, is going to be different for each of us, I think. It's important to realize that. But as we trust the Holy Spirit to empower us and show us the unique opportunities before us, we're going to be able to continue to cultivate the kind of eternal crop that Paul's talking about here in Galatians 6. Well, let's draw this to a close this morning. Real Christian fruitfulness doesn't focus on our own personal happiness, but on a blessed life, a life of knowing, loving, and serving God through Jesus Christ, manifesting his love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in his book, Traveling Light, uh, Eugene Peterson says this, no truth is ever out of date, and none should be promoted at the expense of the whole truth, but there are occasions when particular truths must be emphasized. Is this such a time? Maybe living out this Christian freedom is a gift we can offer the world. We may not always see the fruit of our own labor, but my prayer is that we will trust the Lord for the strong shoulders that our brother Martin Luther was talking about and the patience to sow a harvest of righteousness. Do you believe that the Lord can help us to do that? Let's believe him together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our brother Paul and the reminders that he provides here at the end of the book of Galatians to us to live lives of eternal value. Help us to see those people in front of us with whom we can share burdens, helping them or being helped by them. And help us 
to seed good seed that leads to eternal fruit. We want to glorify you and bring honor to the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.